You're listening to And So I Followed an Alternative Religion podcast with Graham McMillan Mason. Season 2, Episode 2, Cody Vodolado. Hey, welcome back to And So I Followed an Alternative Religion podcast. Uh, thanks very much for returning, merely three weeks after the last podcast, which makes a bit of a difference to four months, right? So... I know I said I wasn't really going to be setting a specific day, it used to be every second Monday. I'm certainly going to try my best to do that, but I'll be totally honest with you, to kind of sound a little bit self-absorbed in my own arse here, I do do a lot of stuff, I run like a film club, I actually have, you know, I actually have a job, believe it or not, Um, and I have sort of a music side project and and stuff like that, it's a lot of stuff that goes on, so for me to commit to a, a particular time just puts a little bit too much pressure on me, but... I'm going to try and at least make it monthly. If I can make it every two weeks, even better. But enough of stuff that you probably don't even care about, if I'm honest. Um, thanks very much for the feedback on the last podcast with Chris Freeman, um, formerly of Manchester uh, Orchestra. I really enjoyed that podcast personally. It was really funny. Um, I had a laugh with it, and you know, it's really good to still be friends with Chris and, and speak to Chris on a, a regular basis. And the feedback from what people had listened to and, and the conversation itself was superb. So I don't want to touch on the whole subscribing thing too much because you all know how to subscribe to an, a, a podcast. Um, but if you don't, if you're one of the few, then if you go on to SoundCloud, if you type in Alternative Religion, it'll come up for my podcast. If you go on to iTunes and do the same, you can subscribe on there as well. If you feel so inclined to converse with myself on the podcast page about previous podcasts, I would say Facebook and Twitter are really great to find us on there. Um, Facebook, just type in the name. Then if you go on Twitter, it's just at CFAR underscore podcast. Now, on to today's episode. It's with someone who is in one of the most cult sort of esque bands, if you prefer of my sort of late teens, early 20s, a band called The Blood Brothers, who many of you will know um, from back in the day since they released March on Electric Children. They sort of blew up um, almost out of nowhere. Um, It was a really different sound for me personally at the time, and it was definitely a band that influenced me and, and many of my peers around me, and his work still continues to. His work in Cold Cave in the early days, and Cold Cave's one of my favorite bands of all time. Anyone who knows me on a personal level will know what Cold Cave means to me, so it was really good to chat to him about that as well. But he's been part of so many bands, he's kind of got that Justin Pearson sort of element to him. It's no surprise he's in a band with Justin Pearson. Um, but in the amount of bands he's been in, you know, you've got Headwind City, you've got the Blood Brothers, you've got Cold Cave, you've got Jaguar Love. And then you have his new project, which is J.R. Slayer, which I've been listening to quite a bit recently, and it's it's really superb. It's really good stuff. Um, if you like kind of electronic music, 100% check it out. But I don't want to kind of touch on my opinion on Cody too much. I love him. I love what he does, and the conversation was great. I really hope you enjoy it too. What I'm going to actually do is I'm going to play a track by the Blood Brothers, as we always do. After that, we'll head straight into the podcast, into the conversation, if you prefer, and the interview. And I really hope that you enjoy it. Here goes. (laughs) 
How are you doing today? I'm doing alright, how are you? I'm very good my friend, I'm very good. We were just having the whole debate about how to pronounce your surname and it's Vodelado. Is that yes. correct? Yes, Vodelado, yes. I was not practicing <laughs> that in any way, shape, size, or form for the best part of five minutes before I recorded this. Um, yeah, you did great. <laughs> I, I got there in the end, didn't I? Well done me. Um, yeah. So yeah, what time is it where you are right now? Uh, it's 2.12pm in the afternoon on Sunday, June 4th. And it's sunny, right? Yeah, it's it's beautiful. Amazing here. It's like torrential rain here. Um, it's dark. Yeah. It's disgusting. <laughs> Not jealous at all. Um, cool. <laughs> well, um, first thing I, I'll always say is because everyone else does an introduction and I don't think it's the best way to do it because that's my opinion of who you are. Um, mm-hmm. Feel free to introduce yourself in any way you want with as many or as few <laughs> words as you like. Okay. Um my name's Cody Votolato, and I was in a band called The Blood Brothers, and been in many bands after, Jaguar Love, Headwood City, um, and I have a production moniker named J.R. Slayer that I've been using, and I, I also play in like a punk band called Pressers. Cool. Awesome. And you've been doing that for since your first band till now, which is... 
Yeah. Yeah, I was, yeah, when I was, no, I'm 35, so when I was 15, I started the Blood Brothers, and, oh. and, uh, so, yeah, it's been about, yeah, You're like yeah, a I guess 15, now. yeah, 15 years, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're not the young kids that, that we used to be anymore, it's, it's different. No, no, it's, it's hard, it's a hard, it's just yeah. a harsh reality, the, the um, it's funny, I was, <laughs> yeah, I was just talking to my buddy Jorma the other day, um, about it and we were just laughing because we like went out to a bar and you know he he was he played drums in that band the bronx and he's uh he's now an eagles of death metal and we were just laughing because we like went into a bar and you know every everyone seems like they know each other and they're all super cool we just kind of like sat in the corner and we were like oh man remember when we because we just you know i think as you get older you just become a little more of an introvert and so you know you just don't really go out as much and you know not everybody knows your name and yeah it's kind of funny <laughs> you, you, you do that thing where you get married and you have kids and, and you buy a house and all of a sudden your friends are not there and the bar you go to is like frequented by like 19 year olds who have no wrinkles and no back yeah. pain um and suddenly <laughs> yeah. you, you have that midlife crisis but that's just that's just me i don't know if you feel the same way yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i still i still feel young so good no you, you yeah lo- you look young i can't see you but <laughs> you look young i don't look as okay, young as i used to but you look good you look good <laughs> cool um so I, I got it wrong i was gonna say uh because i said you were born in washington which is not true you were born in texas no. yes dallas dallas texas and i Grew up in a rural town south of it called Frost. Until I was about ten, and moved to Seattle. See, you should, this is why you should never trust the internet. Because <laughs> the internet gets yeah. it wrong. You can know people inside out. You can know every band you've been in. You can know what different hairstyles you've had, but you can still get the date of birth and, and the birthplace completely wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's okay. We 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 figured you moved to Seattle when you were ten. So. I think yeah. first question I always ask, and I mean, you're, you're living in Seattle at 10-year-old, right? And I mean, I, I live in Glasgow. I was brought up in the northeast of England. And, you know, we have a hub of music that is decent, but Seattle is like, it's so well-known. I mean, Soundgarden, Nirvana, Interpol, so many yeah. bands. And, and you're 10-year-old, and that's kind of the age when you have like a flicker and interest. Um, what was it like being in Seattle with that kind of music yeah. around you? I mean, you know, when when I first moved to Seattle, I was like a shit-kicking little Texas kid, so music wasn't necessarily on on my mind. My, you know, my brother Rocky was a little bit older and sunny, and so they, they I think, had kind of recently gotten into the grunge thing, because that's around the time that we moved there. Yeah. So I kind of I remember them listening to, like, Pearl Jam and Nirvana on the drive to Seattle from Texas. Okay. Um, but, you know, I think I, I wasn't until I was about 12 that, that I realized that i really loved music you know i listened to just like stuff on the radio up up until that point and then you know i think i came home one day my my brother and his friend were listening to yank crime by drive like jehu and 24 hour wrench therapy by jawbreaker and then like from there i was like oh okay yeah you (laughs) You know and yeah and so you know my older brother played guitar and so I always kind of looked up to him and would just try to fiddle on it and mess around. And then, you know, I think Seattle, the one really special thing about Seattle that not a lot of people realize is it's like, yeah, it had all of this really big, like, grunge and all these bands and, 
you know, Soundgarden and all this stuff that blew up. But underneath yeah. all that was a very, very vibrant, very dedicated all ages music scene oh, um, okay. that 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 existed in the suburbs. It existed like in the city, and there were a group of people that really harbored this and worked really hard to to make it happen. So there was this this place called the Old Firehouse in a suburb called Redmond, which is where I went to my first show. It was like a teen center, and I went and saw Jawbreaker play there when I was, I think, in the sixth grade. Jawbreaker so was your been... first show? Yeah. Oh, yeah, shit. Mine, so... mine was some 41. How terrible is that? <laughs> 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 it's just, just like, uh, the level of cool well, is like... Yeah, this, well, you know, this not, it's not cool or not cool. But I just, you know, I happen to to be... That's the thing, situationally, yeah. like, you know, and there weren't, it wasn't like there were a lot of teenagers going to these things, like, like my age, you know, there was people who were probably like 17, 18, but not a lot of 12, 13, 14 year olds that were, uh, you know, exposed to it. I just happened to have an older brother. Um, and so because of that, I started going to these shows and then, you know, I went to, junior high with the drummer of the blood brothers and his older brother played music with, with Rocky and, um, and in Waxwing, And so we knew each other, but then there weren't really a lot of other kids into playing music. And so, you know, kind of through going to these shows, since there weren't many other kids, basically it was like the other people in the blood brothers. That's how we met was yeah. we kept seeing each other at all these different shows. And then there was, venue called the velvet elvis that was really historically famous in seattle like downtown seattle that was really really cool all ages place where you know i mean i saw who did i see there i saw so many shows there i saw thought the drive-in there back in the day i saw elliot smith there i saw like you know and it's just like it's like a tiny little theater that held like 50 people you know what i mean it was it was wild it was kind of like the 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 beacon of like all rad music that would yeah. tour through, you know, I saw the monarch in there. Um, <laughs> that, that is an all, insane all... upbringing. Like I'm, I'm kind of like, sometimes I'll talk about my first shows during, but I'm not going to do that because I feel that <laughs> you're soaring above my level of cool. Yeah. That's, um, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. And it's not even about being cool. It's just, there was something, you know, in yeah. Seattle that was happening that was really, really special that, yeah, that I don't think happened before or since, and that, you know, a lot of people don't realize was going on, you know, and, and it made the, it made it so, you know, a a band like the Blood Brothers could play. I mean, you know, we played, you know, that teen center I told you about, we made a demo tape and, you know, we happened to be at the Murder City Devils first show because we were just going to that venue on a Friday to see the bands playing. And, there were the Murder City de- Devils, and we were just like, "What the fuck?" Like, <laughs> this that's what been... that's what that's what we want to do. And, and what <laughs> you what... know, this is probably ninety eight. Ninety eight. Okay. So, yeah. Like, like we're talking the... just after like the the whole grunge thing. Basically, was like, do you think that was? Do you think that kind of scene got created from Seattle being seen as like? it was like a beacon of grunge from an outside perspective. You'll know a lot more than, than I do on that, but did you feel I mean, like that I mean, honest, honestly, I, I don't know more than you because I got into punk rock and I just sort yeah. of, you know, that was all grunge was mainstream by the time I even knew what it was. Oh, yeah. And, 
you know? And so, like, once I, I discovered this, like, little, like, little, like, corner of the world that's, like, you know, all, all like, this, like, punk rock and, like, GSL and 3-1-G and you had Angel Hair and, and all these, like, crazy bands and there was Carp from Olympia and just all this stuff, like, music basically outside of that world just kind of became non-existent to me yeah for the most part and you know i think that's come back as i've gotten older because that's that's a very adolescent way to look at things but Mm -hmm. for the time and and for it being formative you know it really became my world and had a huge impact on me you know and we had hardcore bands in seattle like botch um who who of course like you know and because we were young like those bands were a few years older than us and they were like, Oh, they let us play with them all the time. So it was like, you know, like we were the, we were like some of the only really young kids making racket like that. I think there's another band called the catters that were like our age that went to another school that we were kind of pals with that they were a little bit more like, like rock influenced, like sex pistol style. But like Mm -hmm. there weren't a lot of people our age seriously trying to like, make music and put out seven inches and, and do that kind of shit. And like, you know, we went on our first tour, like when I was 16 down the West coast, we booked it. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) we we were doing it, you know what I mean? So did you find um, that? um, Cause I I find, and this is just total personal experience of living in, in two cities. And, um, but I think everyone's done bands in, in their city or the majority of people have and they've got to a certain extent and sometimes I feel as a there's sort of an inward I don't want to use the word bitchiness because I don't like using that word but um, mm-hmm. there is a kind of almost a competitive streak in everyone but it seems like when you're describing it everyone was kind of in that scene in particular was like all for one everyone's together did you feel like there was a lot of support yeah I, I think so you know at least for us I mean I think I think what you're saying is inherent in in any walk of life. Mm-hmm. Honestly, like for me to say that that didn't exist, I think would be bullshit because yeah. I, I'm sure that there were plenty of people who weren't super thrilled that like you know what the Blood Brothers are playing at the Velvet Elvis four times this month. <laughs> like what about what about us? You know, yeah. there's other people that that were working hard that maybe didn't like have the connection or some way to you know so i i would i would say that there was certainly animosity with towards people who were doing well like at any at anything that you do yeah (laughs) it's like any 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 group that was doing well in seattle somebody had something to say about it like so i i wouldn't go as far to say that it was just like this like you know this perfect yeah Yeah, hub of love because it it really isn't but um for us we were just i think we were just really in the right place at the right time and what we were interested in was something that people our age weren't really that interested in Mm -hmm. and the fact that we were like making it and, and creating it was exciting for the people who were older than us and you know they they took us in, you know, like having bands like Murder City Devils and Botch let us let us open for them was always like a really huge deal. Oh, um, yeah, for sure. Until eventually, you know, we were playing our own shows and then we had, you know what I mean? Like, and we had our own fans and 
you know, it was always a polarizing band, I think. People yeah. people either really, really were drawn towards the brothers or they thought it was the most annoying shit they've ever heard in their life, which, and you know. It's funny that, I mean, I, I kind of want, I've got something that I need to remind myself I want to ask now that you mentioned that, but um, while we're on the subject of obviously the scene you were part of, we were just talking kind of before the, the podcast and saying that Blood Brothers were effectively like your first band, really, which is pretty cool mm-hmm. realistically because yeah. most people have two maybe two to three bands where they make fucking mistakes um and they, yeah they and, I, and I mean yeah and basically my my the band that sort of preceded the blood brothers was just the same it was the same group of people we yeah. just had a different name and <laughs> yeah so yeah. it was not it was always kind of you know we we filtered through a few different names and sort of but we always were like, it would, that was that was the band that we did, you know. And then the other band I played in was with my brother Rocky called Waxwing, that was simultaneous, which was like a more of kind of like an emo like rock thing that was great. And we made you know four or five records and yeah. And with, yeah, with, so. with the Blood Brothers, I mean, um, I remember the first time I heard Blood Brothers, and I remember being, mm-hmm. and I, I I mean I must have been. Oh God! Um, we're talking a while ago, maybe eighteen, nineteen. So I was, I was yeah, of a decent age um, where mm-hmm. I could understand it. But even I was a bit like, don't know if I get it. And it took me two <laughs> or three listens before I was like, totally fucking get it, totally get it. Yeah. Um. And yeah. It, like it was one of those bands that set off a lot of different bands. Like it was, it was weird. Most people in my scene would listen to maybe the Locust, and then bands like Blood Brothers would kind of shoot off from that. But I was kind of the other way. Someone gave me Blood Brothers first, and I was like, okay. And I think it was March on that I was given first. But um, the interesting thing with Blood Brothers is the rage when you made the band. And I find most people make a band like that, like which is quite chaotic. It was very much left of center. Was that always the mm-hmm. intention with Blood Brothers, or was it just organic? I mean, I think we... we became really enamored with fucked up like angular music yeah because um, when we first started the band like our first demo tapes like they made just on boombox recorders they sounded a lot more like uh i don't know if you're familiar with like the death wish kids or area 51 which were like mm-hmm. the punk the punk bands that preceded murder city devils it's like those were their bands and they put up seven inches and it was like a little more straightforward really noisy like um so that was kind of like, this is what we're doing. And then, I don't know, we got into the Monarchid and the Jesus Lizard and, you know, Angel Hair. And that's kind of like around the time we started making this adultery. Right. And yeah. so and so suddenly it was like, you know, the music started getting a little bit weirder. And, you know, the guitar playing came more like angular and... Well, of course, like Jehu and all that stuff, but like, yeah, you know, like that, that sort of started stemming, you know, I think the band really got interesting when, because originally Morgan was not in the band, our bass player. Okay. Uh, he wasn't in like on the first few seven inches. I played the bass, actually. I wasn't even the guitar player in the band. Um, and then we wanted to get another guitar player, but we couldn't think of anyone to do it, and... Morgan played bass in a really awesome hardcore band called Nine Iron Spitfire um, that we would always go see. And so, I, know that name. I don't know why I know that name, but I do. Um, 
John Pettibone was the singer of it. Um, he was in Undertow, like a seminal hardcore band. He also became the singer of Himsa down the road. Um, but so we were like, he plays bass, like, and I played guitar, like that was my first instrument. So we're like, why don't I just play guitar? We'll have two guitars, and then more. We'll ask Morgan to play bass, and he worked at like a record store. Like he was a little bit older than us, so. I just I just went into the record store and asked them if he'd want to play, and he was like, "Sure." And then suddenly we were, uh, you know, had two guitars and a bass player, and then that's kind of I think you know he always was the most eclectic in terms of like where he's coming from with writing music and the things he listened to, and you know he had a big jazz background. He was always like, you know, I think he was he was like the big Jesus Lizard influence in the band too um, early on, I and like. That quite quick that, that like when i was young I, I it was the jazz thing that i picked up straight away actually it's funny you should say that i i yeah i got jazz from it immediately like and, and from an untrained ear when i was young i didn't i didn't have a big eclectic list of bands that i, I loved i had say 10 to 15 and wanted to grow it and i think that was what, yeah that's what swung me off at first i was like this sounds really like jazzy and it's totally like mm-hmm. left of center but it's weird how those sort of albums kind of uh cemented my music taste i think when i got older which is um yeah yeah i yeah. think it was weird totally. for first and and I, I imagine you you maybe got that reaction from a lot of people like a lot of bands are like yeah i mean I, I think a lot of people just didn't you know quite understand what we were doing and i don't think that you know we ever really had like a very like strong vision mm-hmm. as to what we were doing i mean i think the reason the band sounded and evolved in all the ways that it did was just that you had like you didn't have one singular vision. There wasn't one person driving the ship. It was five very like specific personalities and styles kind of just playing together. And that, that ended up being what the songs were. And I mean, you know, down the road, we fucking slaved at writing songs. It was hard. We would spend eight hours just jamming and do nothing, you know? So, I mean, there was a, I'm sure there's a lot of cool material that we just canned, you know, but it took a long time for us to write songs. Um, but early on, it, it wasn't it wasn't as bad. It wasn't as hard because, of course, we were young. We didn't really know what we were doing. And, you know, that's kind of the, the spirit and the energy behind it. And, you know, that's kind of that's kind of that's yeah. And that's kind of how like the, the sound became like created and kind of became what it was. And you know, Johnny and Jordan over time were figuring out what they were doing, like, and, you know, honing their craft. Yeah, you know, the bands like Antioch Arrow, that was another one I didn't mention that, that really, like, had an impact on, like, this chaotic craziness that, you know, um, and then, like, was the band. You know, when you, you got, you got big pretty fast as well, in, in my eyes, like, I, I, it'll be different to you, you had that personal experience, you probably feel like it took a while, and it probably did in, in, in mm-hmm. real time, but I remember when I was talking to, I can't remember if it was Justin or Eric I was speaking to, but like, the success that you had on 3-1-G, just, it, it seemed like you went from 3-1-G almost to like, a major, like really mm-hmm. quick. Well, we, well, well, we, well, we did. I mean, we were we were signed to the major before March on Electric Children ever even came out. That's right. It got re-released. Is that correct? Yeah. No. It just it just hadn't even been released yet. Okay. Like it was it was recorded and finished. Basic. We were recording that record when Ross approached us to do Burn Piano Island Burn, um, 
And, you know, basically he had been like, well, what do you guys think? Do you want to just re-record this album? Like, and we were like, no, like, this is our album. This is our record for 31G. Like, let's make a new one. Yeah. And so, so we basically made a new one. And if I remember correctly, like, I think Burn Piano Burn Piano Island Burn was finished, record, written and recorded before March on Black Children even came out. <laughs> which is a which is a really weird fact and it was because <laughs> the art the artwork I mean we weren't like on a record cycle. We didn't know no. what that meant or you know, we just were waiting for the artwork to get done for March on Electric Children and it took forever and then suddenly there was like this new record and this new plan and so basically why things seemed to happen so fast was that we had help, you know, there mm-hmm. there was and we had two records, so we put out March on Electric Children, and we went on tour. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we toured the shit out of that record, and then as soon as we were done touring on it, like, it was time to put out Burn. So they just kind of, like, they filtered, like, right into each other. And so it was, like, a good couple years where, like, you know, the Blood Brothers were on tour constantly. And we were young, and so it was, like, you know, and we had help from a label, like, you know, the direct the label that put out burn piano and burn was was helping us you know they they bought us a van that was something we our vans was broken down like we we couldn't have gone on the road you know what i mean and it it did take a lot of time for us and a lot of hours and a lot of driving and a lot of flying and a lot of shows and um but i think effectively it it did happen kind of fast because we just started hammering everybody <laughs> yeah i remember it being you know like mt mtv had ambulance i think am i right in saying no no it wasn't yeah. ambulance it was it was um oh god uh this it was one video it might have been ambulance i could be i could be right actually um, i think it might have been ambulance and it was like mtv and i remember kind of being almost like i remember being worried by it as a cool wanting to be cool 18 19 you'll be like the music i like is on tv what the fuck like but it was right like, but like that yeah. that was that that's a kids do that i suppose which um, i think was all i mean that was always sort of like kind of a struggle yeah. internally for us as well because you know we we didn't start our band to go on tour or to like be on tv or be on the radio or or make money from it even that wasn't even something that we we even had crossed our minds, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't ever think, like, oh, like, you could actually make money doing this. And, <laughs> and you, you know, Apparently. you could have fans. That was, that was not, that actually was never really, like, a, a ambition, yeah. you know? We were just making fucked up music and wanted to keep doing it. And then, you know. And it's, um, it's, quite, it's quite an eclectic band to be in any level of mainstream it's kind of like i remember idiot pilot did like a similar thing like years later i remember i remember listening to idiot pilot i don't know if you've heard idiot pilot but Mm -hmm. i remember just being like oh they'll never get anywhere and then it was like all their videos were on mtv and i was like yeah um i mean sometimes it's just sometimes it's exposure or something mm -hmm. happening in the right time the right place the right person getting a hold of your your thing and kind of championing it. I don't know. I don't think there's a formula. But I know with the Blood Brothers, it was like, to me, it was like this. It was like, you know, we had a really, really uh, energetic live show. Yes. That was kind of of different, a different kind of thing that, you know, that was, we weren't the only ones doing it, but 
because we had this like this support from the label to put us on the road and get us out there you know we were just eventually we were in your town again and we were playing and you know enough people were into it and some bands took us on tour and you know like you just couldn't ignore us you know and that was the thing like no one wanted to write about us like at all until until i think we had such a fan base that it was like what the fuck is going on with this band like we have to write about them like and then so it was like kind of just this wave that kind of just kept going up that never really made sense to me because the kind of music we played is fucking weird and annoying and you know like <laughs> it wasn't annoying it was weird but it wasn't annoying trust me it was but, good <laughs> but i think you know i think i think it had a lot to just do with the energy behind it and yeah, oh, for some oh, people just seeing just seeing the band live was enough to like and I think that that's probably enamor them had in your mind. Yeah, you know? Like I think when when anyone watches music, they have a passion behind it. Be it pop music, like uh, electronic, be it punk or whatever. You have to have like an energy and a passion. And sometimes, yeah, you know, you see a band like that, and if someone's passionate about something, and you can see it, and the music is good. Like you can buy into yeah. that, and and that's where music is. That is why music is about. I think so. I think you can be <laughs> yeah. weird as fuck, and it still works sometimes like yeah totally it's it. it's it's an emotion you know and it, it yeah it in the same way that that music struck that chord for us you know like we just we we managed to strike that chord in a lot of people you know yeah. that and and to a lot of people the you know there are probably lots of blood brothers fans today that have never heard of the monarchid or antioch arrow or angel hair or you know these bands that that really, like, we kind of modeled, like, our, you know, I don't think our, that we, we sounded like those bands necessarily, but we modeled our intention yeah. behind writing um, in it. And, you know, it's it's something that, you know, we created our own sound out of it. And I think that that's one thing that was really special about the band. I think you know? that, that brings me on to like the next thing i kind of wanted to ask because mm-hmm. i've never i've never been there um so I, I don't know but i've asked people in the past when you had i mean you're obviously you got signed at 31g which is is pretty big because you know dp is obviously someone who's quite seminal in that music taste yeah and and in, 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 in that music scene and, and that's big and then almost like you get onto a major then you're on mtv and like i think no one looks for that kind of but when they get it it does change like your your life and your perception of your band how does how did it change stuff from a personal level for you like could you go and buy like Kelg's cornflakes at the shop still without people noticing you or oh yeah no i mean it never we never had that kind of that sort of you know recognition or but it but it but what's that like, it shows, you know, if you went to see a band, for example, people would know you were Cody from Blood Brothers. Like, people would yeah. know they still would. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that still happens, you yeah. know. It's it's not, you know, that'll still happen randomly. It's not like I can't, you know, yeah. like, like, it's not always, but there's always, you know, it happens. And it's cool. It's, you know, I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, someone yeah. remembers that, that stuff, you know, um, which is always exciting, so... But it never, like, you know, for us, I imagine it's a lot harder for someone like Ben Gibbard or something that, you know, he's he's retained a lot of commercial success. And, yeah. you know, but 
it's still it's mellow in Seattle in that way too, where it's like you can walk down the street. <laughs> I, I you know what I mean. I wouldn't know what to say to Ben if I saw Ben. I would freak out, but I wouldn't know what to say. Like, <laughs> yeah, I just probably he's, he's cry and he's awesome. Him. No, he's awesome, man. He's like such a sweetheart. You would, you know. Oh yeah, I mean Death Cab. Well, it is Death Cab or Death Cab. If anyone in the age of between like twenty five and thirty five has cried to transatlanticism at least once, and I don't care what anyone says. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> You're admitting to it. That, I'm going to take that as I have. Um, <laughs> no, I definitely never cried, but uh, certainly spent a lot of time listening to it. Yeah, great band. You great know, band. yeah, yeah. And then, obviously, so. you do commercially. You're, you're successful. Obviously, the album comes out after that. Um, I mean, commercially for the music you made, of course, as we were just yeah, kind of touching yeah. on. But but then then right. you, you had. I remember the breakup, quite a weird one in a sense because. Mm-hmm. You didn't just break up and announce it. It was like you broke up and it came... I, I, I don't know. You'll know better than I do. But the, the rumor was you broke up before, well before it was announced. Like, hmm. what what made you come to that decision on our own personal level? Because I know you can't speak for everyone, so... Yeah. Um, You know, I think it's like... It's like any... Any time you're in a relationship that... Heads just, you know, honestly, I think that we, with that band, probably just needed to take a break. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it was like, realistically, we should have just been like, hey, let's like take a break. Because we had, you know, I mean, we'd had two record labels fold right after our records came out. Yeah. You know, because that, that happened with Burn Piano Island Burn. The label folded. And then we went on to V2. And V2 put out Crimes. They did a great job of Crimes. And then Young Machetes came out, and they folded like a month after. <laughs> and so it was just like, you know, it, it was another just like, fuck, like, yeah, what, you know, like, and fuck I that. think that that created that create a lot of stress in the band. Mm. And then it was just, you know, you, we started the band when we were 15, you yeah. know. And I think everyone just kind of felt like they wanted to do something a little bit different, you know, and decision-making wasn't, like, as easy as it once was. And, you know, the great thing about the band was that it it had all these great strong personalities, you know. But when that happens, you know, an equal democracy sometimes makes it hard to decide where to go eat. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good way to put that. You, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let alone, sure. like, you know, how are we going to run this business and this band and be artists? And it's really not... You know, being a band is just not the the setup of it from like the foundation is just not it's not really conducive to longevity. You know, and I and I think especially when you're really young and you don't you know like you don't know like anything about anything like you know and we weren't like crazy young when we broke up. We were only in that band. Yeah, you know I'm, what I mean. Yeah. So. There was probably things in the back of your mind that you wanted to do that was not Fuller Brothers, too, which is obviously proven for everyone since that happened, too. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and that was, you know, that just kind of became the situation, you know. But I think realistically we should have just, just stopped making music, but I don't think we even realized that that was something that you could do. Yeah. You know, like there was no one there telling us, like, hey, why don't you guys just, like, 
stop stop doing stuff for a while. Yeah, just chill out. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> you know, like don't 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 break up. Like, yeah. just stop just stop touring. Stop writing. Just take a break. Like you can come back. Like come back to it. So I think that that's where like a lot of bands make mistakes. You know, because it's way like it's way cooler. Hiatus What's was that? like a hiatus was like a big a big word around that time as well. So it's like you you could have yeah. I suppose if you wanted to, but like you say, it's like you were like you've gone from being in that band and as you said, you know know, know nothing about anything, and, and all of a sudden you're on a, a major label. And you're I mean to me to being on three one G is huge, and of course I'm I'm sure to you too. And then you go on to yeah. a major, and then you have to deal with sometimes you have to deal with that you go up that hill so fast. That sometimes when it comes down, you're kind of trying to work out how you can steer it back to where it's comfortable, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, we were actually, we weren't going to make another record after this adultery is ripe. Um, the only reason we made March on Electric Children was because JP asked us if we wanted to be on 3-1-G. Yeah, which is <laughs> and we were like, doing. <laughs> yeah, we were like, hell yeah. Like, so... <laughs> That's kind of, you know, the succession of the band just kind of, you know, kept going and going and going. And I think, you know, just one thing led to another and we were doing it for so long that eventually, you know, we were just time to time to not do it anymore. That's you what know I what I mean? I going to ask, actually, going back a little bit, rewinding a, a, a small a small bit. But um, how, did you know Justin before he asked you to be on 3-1-G or did he meet you? Yeah, no, no, we had, I think we played, we played a show with the locust at that place, the Velvet Elvis I was telling you about. Yeah. Um, and I think that was kind of possibly our introduction. I don't remember. Maybe we played some show at Pokies in San Diego and he was there. And, um, but somewhere along the line, we did a West Coast tour and I think we stayed at his house or something. Okay. And then, and then, then that's when he asked if, you know, we would be into doing a record on 3-1-G. And so that was kind of like, okay, well, we weren't going to do another record. We were just going to do this tour and then stop being a band. Uh, not, like, in any kind of dramatic sense, but yeah. that was just, like, we were all... It, the Blood Brothers had kind of become a side project to everyone's, like, shit, you know? Did, um, it wasn't, did you do it wasn't that? really... Did you do that cool thing? Uh, where you kind of like, oh, I'll think about it when he asked you, or did you just say, yeah, man, I'll do it? <laughs> I don't remember. I'm pretty sure we were just like, yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. At least you did that. Yeah. Um, so. so then the breakup was 2010? Yeah, I don't remember. I think, I think it's it was 2006. Was it earlier than that? Yeah, it was 2006. Okay. Yeah. We'll fact check yeah. that, and we can come back to it. I'm guessing okay, you, yeah. you you probably know better than I do. So yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure. I I, so. would, I don't know why I think that, but I do. Because um, Young Machetes came out in 2006, and we broke up that year. So okay, so you went because in my mind you went from Blood Brothers to Cold Cave, but that's not true. You did no. something in between. Yeah, Jaguar Love. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. And then yeah, you're. What what was your thoughts when one Blood Brothers? Because I, I find a lot of bands, a lot of people, they do, they'll do a band and then it'll break up, and then sometimes they have something set in place that they've already had their eyes on. Um, mm -hmm. was, was that like that for you? Or no, it really wasn't. Um, 
you know, I was I was pretty lost and confused. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I I was honestly, I had written like 20 songs on acoustic guitar, like folk songs. So I was like, okay, I'm going to just fucking do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to just do that. I'm going to do this, you know. And then um, I got together for lunch with Johnny one day and then we just kind of got to talking and you know, just about what we wanted to do and how we wanted to accomplish things. And then it was like, well, do you want to try, like, writing some songs together? And then we did, and it was like, okay, this is fucking cool. This is super fun. And, like, you know, we were both super inspired and really enjoying playing music, and that kind of created Jaguar Love. Okay. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like, all right, we're going to... I don't think one had any plans for what they were going to do when the band broke up. I think yeah. everyone was Uh-oh. like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you know, yeah, totally. And so... You know, we just we just got right in and wasting time. Um, and so we made some demos, and then we made a record and sent it to Matador, and then Matador put it out, and we did some touring on it, and then um, we put out another record on Fat Possum and did a little bit of touring on it, and then it was like we did, it just kind of slowed down, and then we never band never broke up. Um, we just kind of stopped doing it one day. Yeah, because <laughs> you know. I- when it comes to timescales, that was actually, come to think of it, that was pretty soon afterwards, wasn't it? It was almost like, in terms of years, it was only like a year afterwards, Jaguar Love, I'm sure. In terms of what? In terms oh, of, that it came yeah. out? Like yeah, it happened pretty fast. Blood Brothers, yeah, yeah, because I was thinking my, my timescales were wrong, because Cold Cave was like 2010. Yeah. And that yeah. was, Cold Cave was like a, it was a live thing. Or did you have stuff involved with that? On a recording process as well? Yeah, there was... Um, I did a tour playing guitar um, for him, and, you know, Wes and I had kind of worked on a little slew of songs together, mm-hmm. um, but none of, none of them ended up kind of coming to... There was, like, one... I think maybe one song kind of saw the light of day, and it was just, like, a demo. Yeah. Um, but there was some really cool material. Um, so, you know, I think we'll probably... We'll probably work together in some fashion again. Because it's funny that... Um you know, we were talking before, obviously, about you have, and I was reading, and you were saying you've delved more into, like, electronic stuff. Was, but, mm-hmm. but was Cold Cave a factor in that, or were, were you already on the way? Cause no, I, I kind of, I kind of, that sort of happened with the second Jaguar Love record, actually, um, because we, we had stopped playing with our drummer, and we okay. basically, we, we just had to figure out a way to make our record. Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of that was learning to use logic and reason and all these like different sort of Johnny already kind of Johnny was already like knew how to do that stuff, but I didn't. So I had to, I taught myself how to use logic and I just started writing. Um, and with that became synthesizers and drum machines and, and, uh, yeah. So I guess kind of that just sort of happened because I didn't have anyone to do it with or to do it yeah. for me. So and then I started doing like a little bit of like um, scoring for like TV and commercials and stuff, and oh, really? so all all of that, that like I have to do everything. So yeah, what and TV then, shows? Uh, it was never there were never any shows, but I did do like a Target commercial. Oh, that is <laughs> yeah. that is pretty interesting. I mean, I, I I'm from like England and I live in Scotland, and I, I even I know what Target is. I was in Florida yeah. and I, I seen it fucking yeah. everywhere. So yeah. Um, so I did, like, a little bit of that, um, you know, and then some smaller stuff for, like, the web and stuff like that. And, I mean, I pitched on a million commercials, but um, 
So I just always kind of I started just doing production stuff because I, you know, I had to. Yeah. You know, I was now I was never a nerd about it. I'm still not. You know, I'm still like, you know, I can do this, and I'm always learning more, and I'm kind of building tools, and you know, that's kind of how I ended up getting into making electronic music was just like, well, like I kind of have to do this if I want to be able to create or write a song or complete an idea. Um, you know, and those tools are really good for it. Yeah, of course. So. And because I was reading, because um, I, I really wanted to ask that because obviously I think, you know, for me personally, Cold Cave is one of my favorite things ever, period. Um, and when it comes to your electronic music, and you being involved in it, I always I'm quite interested in how people get to that. But I was reading yeah. somewhere about you two with nine inch nails, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And there was what's the story behind that? Do you do you know which story I mean? Um, what do you mean, like how we toured with them or when we did? Or no, no, no. Like um, on on the subject of like electronic music, somebody uh, you you did an article I think, or someone asked you in an interview regarding about your the stuff you do with electronic stuff and a lot of it was oh. that too you did because uh, i think it was maybe delving into using a a drum machine and stuff like that but didn't it did it get bored yeah okay uh, okay so basically kind of a little bit deeper into so um when jaguar love did that tour with nine inch nails it was like part of a bigger like festival tour okay. in australia okay. called Soundwave. And yeah, then yeah. they have like they have like these like off shows where like bands play like in the cities. And Trent, I think he had always been a Blood Brothers fan, and um, he asked Jaguar Love to like play his side shows basically. Mm-hmm. And so that was like huge for us. We were fucking stoked. Yeah, that's fucking insane. But right, right <laughs> before the tour is when we stopped playing with our drummer. Like a couple of weeks before the tour was going to happen. Hello. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so um, excuse me. Um, no, okay. So we were basically like, "Fuck, we can't cancel," um, and we we you know it's, we didn't know another drummer, so it was like, "Okay, let's figure out how to just," you know, Johnny had made some demos electronically, and we were just like from some of the new material we were working on, and we're like, "Fuck, why don't we just figure out how to do this, just you and me," you know, and so that kind of. That kind of really spawned like, okay, now I need to need to figure out how to to use electronics to play live, yeah. you know, and and how do we how do we make it happen so that we can just throw and go basically, and you know we <laughs> we we figured it out like you know actually I think uh, Chris Walla from Death Cab helped quite a bit because I gave I knew I gave him a call because I knew he was really into NPCs and I was like how do we you know, what do we need to do to basically get all these electronics in, out on stage, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so he kind of gave us some tips, and then we really just figured it out. I mean, we showed up to Australia and, like, you know, played the first festival, and it was it was a bit of a mess and a nightmare, but we were like, okay, this is, you know, we're a two-piece with a fucking drum machine. Like, and at, at the time, it wasn't something that was really going on. You know, yeah. not that we not that we like pioneered it by any means or anything like that, but it just for bands like us, it wasn't it wasn't like sexy to be like, you know, playing synthesizer electronic music with guitars and yeah. no drummer and not then it was you know it, se- so. it seems a lot more prominent these days, but that that's it's well, it's not strange you should say that, but it is interesting. 
interesting and because Chris is Chris recorded most of the Death Cow albums. Am I right in saying that? Before yeah, he left? yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. So he's quite a good person you know, to go to for that stuff. And yeah, did. totally. And did you find so. yourself preferring it more with the drum machine? Did you find it like it was a lighter weight to carry? No, no, I no. Honestly, like we did a few tours um, <laughs> like that. Yeah, and it wasn't lightweight because we bought these fucking like this PA because <laughs> yeah. we needed, you know, we still brought like an eight an SVT like eight by ten cab to run our bass tracks through, <laughs> and we bought this PA like to bring with us so that in any situation like where the PA wasn't good like yeah. at a venue we could always set up and play, you know. Um, so that was kind of a pain, but yeah, I mean we you know we hopped in a minivan. Just Johnny and I would like hit the road, which was like super cool. Yeah, that is cool. You know? Yeah, but event- but we eventually got a drummer. We like found found this guy Zach in Portland, and he was awesome. And so we sort of we did both, like you know, because we were like, man, yeah. you gotta have a drummer, like you know, that's sort of where we were at. So we like um, we figured out a way to have like have a drummer and run the tracks and you know what I mean? Still yeah. have all our eight oh eight oh eights and shit going off. Um so, so But yeah, that's 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 kind of where like the electronic thing started for me. It was just kind of out of a necessity. You know? how, how did the meeting with Wes come to that? Because Wes has obviously got r- rotating people, but you were like one of the first. Like you were like so that conversation must have been a do you join, do you tour, or is it just a did you know him for years or, or? Yeah, I mean Blood Brothers toured with American Nightmare. Um Oh yeah, yeah. And and I think I don't remember who it was. Like somebody was like Hey, I heard Wes was looking for a guitar player. Um and I was like, Oh cool and I just hit him up. <laughs> I just yeah. text him I think and I was like you know. And we were always like you know, we were always good pals, so. So, when it comes to to Cold Cave, did you want that to be a permanent thing? Or was it just that, was it always planned on being live and obviously helping out in certain things? Because obviously you've delved into your own stuff these days, like, as we were kind of touching on before. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it was so long ago now. But yeah, I yeah. mean, I think, I think the intention was that, you know, we would, we, it would sort of blossom into something a little bit more, um consistent uh but i think you know i was in seattle and you know i think west was sort of trying to really figure out where he wanted to go and what he wanted to do with cold cave and so you know i think the direction that he took it in just was a little more like you know needed just like a couple people because he didn't have guitars you know since then and so um you know his thing is very compact you know he's gone to like china a few times and russia and so like you know we ended up not really doing too much together since then but um i anticipate that we will were you with, were you with <laughs> no you were you were in the cold cave at a different time from dom right dom came after yeah no i actually uh was just after dom oh really yeah it was just after dom god my time scales are fucking terrible like yeah yeah like they're horrific Anyway, um, <laughs> cool. Okay, and then obviously there's been other stuff since then as well. But what I kind of really wanted to concentrate on was what you're doing currently. And, and one question mm-hmm. I always kind of like to ask, um, it's almost like the the second last question was, what is your future at the moment, and where do you see yourself going over the next 
however many right. years it may be. Cool. Um, well, basically, I, I started this moniker, JR Slayer, and, you know, I, I've done a few remixes for it, and I actually produced a band. I really want to get into producing a lot more mm-hmm. and writing. Um, so I uh, produced a band called Dude York, uh, who released an album on Hardly Art this year. Mm-hmm. came out in, like, end of February. And they're rather kind of like a power pop band from Seattle. They're super fucking good. Um, and then, you know, obviously I play in Headwind City, and, and we will always be a band. We never really quite know what we're doing or when we will do something again, but it always kind of comes back around. Um, but realistically, I'm trying to focus on writing and um, producing. And, you know, I imagine I might go out and play for someone at some point um if if the right situation came up um i'd totally be down to hit the road and play guitar for someone um but at the moment i'm just you know i'm currently making i released a jr slayer record in february that was like a little more electronic and synthesizer and like i just because i i record and write everything myself like i was like fuck i'll just i'll build a website and i'll I'll make a band camp because I really was trying to change my narrative with how I approach music and how I, the conversation I have with music um, from one that's like, how do I make money from this? How do I make it so that it's something that's commercially successful or that I have a certain amount of people in my shows? That was really bumming me out. Like that whole, whole, the whole album process and the whole expectation of, you know creating the music and the art so for me that that record was very important in the in sense of like i just want to make this and put it out there like i didn't really do any interviews for it like i i didn't hire a publicist i just kind of put it out there i put it on my socials and it's you know some people bought it some people downloaded it you know it's not it was not a big deal but it's kind of inclusive in this thing that i'm just trying to do with jr slayer which is to have kind of like a production like thing so I can produce bands, I can make records, I can do remixes. Um, so right now I'm actually working on two EPs. I'm working on an acoustic EP and an instrumental EP um, just out of my house here in L.A. Yeah. So <laughs> Are you wanting to, uh, to take it out on, on a, a tour or are you wanting it to all I mean, that's, 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 that's kind of the thing. I'm just sort of, I'm not really making those big of plans for it because... I just kind of want it to be a project that I do and that, you know, if, if, if it seems like something I should do, like I'll go maybe go play some shows around LA. Like, you know, I, that would be cool. I mean, I don't think I would ever say no to the opportunity. Of course. Um, but it's right now I'm just trying to build the, the material and, and kind of create the art and kind of have that be my focus for it. Um, yeah. you know, and then I have like a, I have like another like punk band that I started here in LA um, with a couple buddies. This guy Denver Daly. Um, so I don't know if you've heard of him, but he plays in that band Desa Parcitos. Oh yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, I know the band. Um, yeah, and he and he, yeah, and he he plays with Harmar Superstar, and he's in that band. And oh, that is a throwback. That is so yeah, a throwback. Yeah, Holy shit. yeah. So so we have a band with our our buddy Jonah Ray 
um, which is he's awesome. If you if you haven't heard of him, you should look him up. He's a he's a comedian, and he's actually um, have you seen uh, Mystery Science Theater? Are you a fan of that? No, I haven't seen it. I'm not Did you ever grow up watching that? That might have been an American thing. It's Maybe. like a it's like a it's like a show where. I don't know, you should just look it up, but he's, like, the new host of this show, and he, he has, like, another, like, sort of comedy bit show that's that's really, really cool. But the three of us started a band that's sort of, like, Jawbreaker-esque that's kind of fun for, for around L.A. So, you know, we have a slew of, slew of songs. It's called Pressers. Um, Is it with that guy and, singing? No, he's playing drums. I sing and play guitar. Oh, okay. Uh, and then, yeah, he, he's a drummer, so... He's a ripping drummer, and then Denver plays like a baritone bass, and then I play guitar and sing. That sounds so, nice in a kind of yeah. really cool way, like a, a comedian drummer. Do you have like stand-up sets in between? Or? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think he'd hate that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> he'd hate that. Yeah, yeah. So, and then um, I think um, the final question I always like to ask, and it's it's a bloody difficult question. I don't think anyone likes being asked it, but. Fuck okay. it, fuck it, it's become a thing. Um, so, if there was someone who had never heard anything you'd ever done, anything you'd been part of, didn't know who the fuck you were, and said, okay, like the conversation, but choose two songs or two things that you've been part of that you're most proud of that you would give to a stranger to introduce your, your artwork. Hmm. Damn, that's pretty good. Yeah. Or I might have to, I mean, I, I think I would have to include a Blood Brothers song just because it's... It's it's so important to my upbringing, um, and if I had to choose one just right off the top of my head, um, it'd probably be "Set Fire to the Face on Fire." Okay, um, because I think that song really summed up like all of the energy mm. in, behind the band. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. No, I um, think so. Um, and then I would try to pick something a little uh, on the different side. Um, shit. That's a, that is a tough question. No one likes it. Uh, I don't dislike it. it it's, make, it's making me think, <laughs> yeah, you know. Well. I mean, it's it's hard to think about, you know, selling yourself like that, which is something I'm, I'm not so good at. Maybe I would show them, um, shit, I don't even know. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe something, something there's actually a, a song that, that I have on this acoustic EP that I'm, like, pretty proud of that, um, it's called Lord of Nothing that that I might want to show them just because it's 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 a different like sort of side of, of I think anything that I've presented to anyone so that'd be cool, cool. the JR Slayer track yeah yeah man that so. works awesome cool um, and then my final question did you have fun uh, th- this whole time yeah like the entire uh, yeah. time. Good. Like I don't <laughs> Absolutely. Want, I don't want any moment of you to have had any level of sadness or, or bo- boringness. Is boringness a word? No. It's not a word. No. What would the word be? What would the uh, word be? I'm not sure. Just bored, I think, would be the word. I think yeah. I have to get my wording right. It's late here. Yeah. Forgive me. I've had a okay, couple cool. of Guinnesses, so. Um, <laughs> oh, for some. Um, not my wife. Um, <laughs> cool. Well, thanks so much right, for man. doing it. I'm pleased you yeah, had fun, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, hitting me up and bearing with me and being patient. Um, <laughs> no, not at all. So, yeah, I'm happy we did it. Same. So there we have it. Another episode done, this time with uh, Cody from Blood Brothers, JR Slayer, and all the bands mentioned sort of on the podcast. Thanks so much for coming back. 
we have a couple of podcasts coming up. I'm going to, I think, make them around the same sort of time. You'll have something within the next month at least. With uh, It could be Movie Life. It could be Nightmare View. It could be 18 Visions. It could be Sainted Reps. But stick around and see what, uh, see what we come up with, eh? Thanks for coming back. Bye.